Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by The Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. Additional information about The Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Good morning. morning. I'd like to first of all take the opportunity to thank Pastor Allen for this opportunity. It's not every day that you get to have this kind of privilege to be here, especially with so many nice people, but also to just talk about God's Word and be in the Word and pray about the Word and just truly be a part of something more than what you are as yourself. And I was praying more and more about what I should say, what I should speak on, or what I should have, and I kept on thinking about it, and it finally, eventually, came up that I should preach about character, because in the world that we live in, there's so much uncertainty, there's so much worry, there's so much fear, and the one thing that's actually needed inside this world, it's not any kind of funding, it's not any kind of security, it's truth. What we need is truth, something that we can truly hold on to, something that we can truly grasp and no matter what, not lose sight of, even in the toughest times. And I was wondering, what what is true about how we should live, since that is what truth is supposed to be used? It's supposed to be used to apply to our lives and then tell others about it. And what truth there is about our lives is character. Character is something that we've been discussing for thousands of years. People have debated on it, theorized about it, believed different things, different viewpoints, but there is only one true point about it that actually truly matters, and that's the truth. The truth is the only thing that can define character. Character is the only thing that can define the truth. And the only thing that's actually true is the Bible. So without further ado, the truth. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for everything that you've given me, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the ability to even speak. Thank you for giving us all the opportunity to have another day, to be able to serve and glorify you, Lord. I pray for all those who are out there who couldn't be with us because of worries or sickness or some other unforeseen circumstance, Lord. Please help them. Please help for them to be able to be blessed by someone else this day. Please help all those that are here, Lord. Please help for our words today. All the other people who are speaking, Lord, please help for them as well to feel peace and comfort. Please help for us all to truly see what you are trying to tell us, Lord, throughout this day and throughout this sermon, Lord. Please, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so the first thing is going to come from Romans chapter 5. You don't have to turn to every single scripture because... I'm going to be bouncing around a lot. But the first thing is, of course, about character that they ask is, what is it? What's the meaning? What's the true actual meaning? What defines character? Character defines us, but what defines character? And the first thing that I would do if I was trying to figure it out, which I am, is look at a couple different views of it. So the first one comes from a Greek philosopher by the name of Plutarch. I'm sorry if I don't get the names fully pronounced correctly, but he was a biographer and author 
who heavily influenced the different types of writing and also speech of the day. He was born in 46 AD in Sharona, Greece, and he lived to be over 70 years old. Some of his most famous works are retelling the tales of Greek and Roman soldiers and their morals. So we had a lot of discussions and ideas about what character was. And this is what he said about it. Character is simply habit long continued. Some people would argue that that is correct. Even I would argue that that's correct, because if you're going to do something, if it's your life, if character is what you stand by, if you believe in it throughout your entire life, you would, sorry, you would practice it. You would continue to do it. It's something that would become repetitive. You would continue to do it. You would practice it. You would learn more about it. But that's not the only thing that it is, no matter what. Even though it is repeated over and over and over and over and over, it's not fully correct, because if you could do anything over and over and over and over and over, and it wouldn't matter at all, you would still believe what you believe. Even if I could believe that the sky is blue and continue and just write over and over and over that it's green, over and over and over, and it would not matter. It would still be blue, and I would still believe that it would be blue. So it's not just something that you just believe, and it's not just something that you just do over and over and over, but we're on the right track. The second thing is John C. Geeky. I apologize once again if I don't pronounce your names right. He was born in Edinburgh, Scotland on the 26th of October, 1824, and he also lived to be over 80. He was a Scottish minister and author, and he taught at Queen's College, Kingston, Ontario. So he was also well-versed in character and beliefs and morals and all of that. And he said, our character is but the stamp on our souls of the free choices of good and evil that we have made through our life. And he is also almost correct. And even I would argue that he is correct. Because what has, as the Greek philosopher said, it's just something that we practice day to day. Whereas he said, it is what we truly, our actions that are truly valued is our character. What truly matters that we do is what we believe in. So doing tons of stuff over and over and over is character versus the few main things that you truly believe in that you put your heart into is what is character. But what does the Bible clearly say about it? And that is spoken about inside Romans 5 verses 1 through 4. Therefore, since we who have been justified through faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace, in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope, and that hope does not fail. That character, that word character right there, I decided to look it up because I thought that since it was written in Greek, Greek would have the best definition for it. And the Greek definition came out as dokume, which means of value, of worth, of substance almost. When they were doing a deal and they were negotiating something and they were talking about a product, they would say that this is dokume of good worth, of good value, of something that you could truly use in your life, something that truly meant something. And that is what the Bible says about this. 
that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, docume, worth, character, and character, hope. And that is the completely correct definition. What you do throughout your life is going to be what is of worth. That's character. What's of worth? People always say, you have good character, you have bad character, you have good worth, you have bad worth. It makes sense. But what is of good worth or of character? And who decides that? And most, if not all Christians, know the answer, which is God. But some people like unsaved friends, family, and even strangers who might walk right beside you on the street will ask, what is it? Or who gets to decide? Who gets to tell me what to do? Who gets to truly decide how my life should be lived? How I should spend my time, my money, my resources, all of my assets? Who gets to decide that? Who gets to tell me what to do? And as we know, it is God, as I said before. And I'm not surprised that they ask this, because sometimes they're just trying to justify a sin, or they're trying to cover for someone else, or they're just lost in their life, and they need something that they can truly grasp a hold of, something that they know is truly worth their time in a world where they are told to put their effort into so many different things, their looks, their social life, their job, all of those different things, and that they need to worry about so many different things. They need something that they can truly say, this is worth it. This is worth sacrificing my life for. This is worth sacrificing my time. Everything that I have, this is what's worth it. But then, what's a good example of that? And the best example for that would be Job. He was one that also asked this question, in a way. He had the best possible life, so he's the best possible person to show this example. He had the most to lose, he had the most to gain. He had everything that he could possibly want. He had riches, a big happy family, and hundreds of servants and livestock. He was the best of the best. He had the most, he was the greatest man possible. Possibly even greater than even some of the greatest scholars that we have today. He was basically having a 99% perfect life. Everything was going fine. And then he just lost it in just a matter of minutes. All of it was gone. All of it was wiped out. No explanation, no warning, nothing that he had ever seen before. He had offered all of the sacrifices that he needed to to forgive both his sins and his children's. He had routinely prayed over and over and over. He had tried to do what God said he should do. He was, even by other people's views and even by God, who would, he had prayed to many times, the most righteous man that he had met, or at least one of. And yet all of it was just taken away. So he should definitely know and also ask the question, why? Why should you take this away? Why should you have the right to judge me like this? Why do you have the right to take away everything that I had when I obeyed you? Why should you judge my character like this and do this? And God clearly answers him inside Job 38 and 39. But I believe that it was most clearly answered in verses 4 through 7 of chapter 38. And it's very interesting what God says about it because it gives one of the main premises for why we agree with him and why we submit ourselves to him. And it says inside of it, in chapters 4 through 7, or verses 4 through 7, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determines its measurements? Surely you know. 
or who stretched the line upon it, or on what basis were it sunk, or who laid its cornerstone. When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, were you there? And this is the smallest example of why he decides, because he created everything. He created everything of worth. He created everything that we ever knew. Anything that was of worth, anything that was of value, back then the world was completely perfect. So everything was of value. Everything was of good birth. Everything was of character. So he was the main decider. Since he decided what was of character and what was of worth, he gets to determine us. He gets to decide what we do, what's of worth, what he sees, what we will be judged by. He gets to decide it. But then the second question, which would be, well, no, I'll elaborate a little bit more. This is one of the smallest examples, of course, but then there's also another one, which is inside Philippians 4 through 8. And it answers the question of what truly is it? And that is, what is it? What truly is it? What is a good character or good worth? Since he gets to decide, since he gets to truly be the deciding factor, what is a good character? What has he determined as good character? And that would be, as I said inside Philippians chapter 4 through 8, and it says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Inside this verse, Paul is telling the church of Philippi that what things are of character and of value, of honor, and of worth is these things. Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is praiseworthy, anything like that. That is what is character, what's of worth. And God is also says that the Spirit will teach us what is of character or of good worth. And he speaks about that inside Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such thing there is no law. Right there is where God says that the Spirit will help you. If anybody is worried about what they're doing is of good worth, is of good character, that is the verse that they would look at to see. The Spirit will show you what is of good character, what is of good worth. It will explain to you what you need to do. As you pray, as you look through the Bible, as you let the Spirit move through you and in you, you will see what you truly need to do. And that is also a good example inside James 2, 14 through 18. Again, you don't have to turn to everything, but inside it it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith and does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And that shows us one of the main points that we need to do. But that's also spoken about inside verse 18 of it, which ties it all together, sort of. But some will say, you have works, or you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. This shows that even if you know, even if the Spirit shows you what is of character, 
if you know it, you can say whatever you want, but you have to implement it. You have to use it. You have to show that you are doing it, that you do believe it. You have to practice what you preach, so to speak. And that's really what it says inside that scripture. And it shows it once again inside 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge that I have in faith, and have the faith to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And it, you can see inside this verse, it systematically goes through everything. Like I've, already, I've already told you about how we need to truly take the time to implement our belief in character into actions. But this is the flip side, where we can't just do actions, but we also have to have belief. And Because it says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging symbol. That's beliefs. That is what you say, that is what you believe in. You have to have correct beliefs. But if you have no love, or if you don't have any true, I would so speak, teeth in the game, you have nothing. And it also says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. And that's actions. If you do actions but don't have love or you don't have any kind of true belief in it or you don't have any true emphasis behind it, there's nothing. You can't, there's no true meaning. It just falls apart. And it also says inside verse 3 that if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And once again, it says then that no matter what you do, if you do not have true character, if you don't fully believe in it, it means nothing. It, it holds no weight. It never does anything. You have to have both works and belief. You have to have the whole thing. You have to have both sides. But then two questions remain, though. Why should we have to do and think things of good character? I mean, couldn't we just wait? Couldn't we just wait until later on, have our fun or do something? We always say, well, God, I want to be, be your servant. I want to have good character. I want to be an example. But let me just do this first thing, and then I'll get to it. And first of all, that is putting, of course, God in a box, and you can't do that. But why? Why should we as Christians, and just as people in general, some older, some younger, spend our lives doing and thinking things of good work? Because some believe, well, I'm younger, I have time, I should just spend it on whatever I believe in, and then later on, I can, when I finally figured things out, I can come back and I can decide for myself what's character. And then others, on the flip side, say, well, I'm older, I've had my time, I've done what I needed to do, I can, I can relax a little bit and do what I want instead. And that is, once again, a very dangerous thing. Sometimes even more dangerous than the young life, because that would make you slip away from your faith instead of just losing it in the first place. You would lose it in the very end, and you wouldn't have it. And the answer to the first question of why should we as people spend our lives doing and thinking things of good worth, 
of character is because God decides, as I've already said, but then also because we are supposed to be an example. I was using this for a couple other things that I was doing for young people, but this verse still holds true in this situation, which is 1 Timothy 4.12. And it says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. This verse not only helps me and other Christians know that we're not to be looked down because of our own experience, but also that I'm not just told that I can guide and save other people, but I'm, that I'm required to. So not only is it that I'm supposed to do it because God tells me to, but because I'm supposed to be an example to lead others to Christ. And that's the main goal of Christianity. It's not to make a big church. It's not to truly achieve the perfect community. It's to save people. It's to save them from themselves, from the world, from the flesh, the devil. And that is the true purpose of Christianity. And that can only be achieved when operated inside the spirits, the fruits of the Spirit, which the Spirit will show you, and that will lead you to true character. And that's why so many people are led wrong by loved ones or colleagues and suffer, or don't get any solid truth from them, and because of that, forget God later on in life. And that's why we need to be a good example, because once again, people are watching. And the final question that I mentioned earlier that will probably cap this off is how do we get good character or worth? And so the answer to that, as I've already said, is the fruits of the Spirit. The things that God puts as what he sees as good character are referred to as fruits. And like fruits, they take time, care, protection. Time, because nothing comes immediately. It's something that's truly valuable. And as sort of an example, um, I'm not sure how many people are familiar with how they used to get gold back inside the older times, back when lords would clear entire fields and kick hundreds of peasants and common folk off their lands. But usually they would do it to hilled lands. And the reason why they would do that is because there was quartz inside those hills. And quartz in itself is not really that valuable. But if you melted it down over and over and over and over, and if you broke it down, eventually you would get to gold. There was a tiny bit of gold inside that quartz. And that's the same kind of thing with character. It has to be honed over and over and over and over and over. That's how we get it. We have to do it over and over and over and over and over. And also, just like the fruits of the Spirit, they're fruits. They don't grow immediately. They have to have time. They have to have protection. They have to have growth. They have to have sustenance. They have to have something that they can go off of. They have to have time, because nothing comes immediately. Care, because you have to read scripture, pray, and grow, as all Christians do need to. You can't run on an empty tank. You have to have something to go off of. And protection, fellow believers and others who can stand by you and truly tell, assure you that what you're doing is of good character or of good worth, pulling you up. And that's why it is so hard to find Christians with it. It's so hard to find Christians that truly believe in good character and do it. They have to have both their works and their belief. And that's why it's so difficult. But what people always fail to see 
in the belief of they could just come back later or they have already done their part is that the reward for it is always much greater than what you started out with. We, people always view their lives as just 70, 80 years, it's over. When they don't realize that there's an entire thousand years on top of an eternity that you will spend with God, and you will spend it knowing that you could have done more. Even though God will wipe your tears away, it will still be there on the history books, and nothing can change it, that you had a chance to be a better example, that you had a chance to be someone of document, of good worth or character, and you missed out on the opportunity because of the cares of this world. But we always forget that, that it is always of good worth. It is always something that can be valued, something that will always be rewarded because it is of good worth. It can be valued, it can be traded in, and it will be traded in eventually at the judgment seat. We will trade it for our crowns. And that is truly what it actually means. All right, I want to thank, like Luke did, I want to thank Mr. Allen um, for the opportunity that he's allowed us. We uh, appreciate every single one of you guys coming out. I know when youth service comes around, maybe you guys think you won't get fed as much, so you're like, oh, let's not go out to church. But, you know, you're supposed to do your feeding at home. That's another story. But I do want to thank you guys um, for what you've done or for coming out here. Um, I do want to thank the Lord, most importantly, for the opportunity that he's allowed. Um, I always tell myself one of my biggest struggles in my life is it's pride. Um, Mr. Danny told me pride was where you want it, you know, it's this thought of glory to self rather than glory to God. And, uh, you know, if I was God and I was looking out at all the people to put up here, I'd be like, yeah, let's not do him, right? But, you know, he opens the door and allows me to do this more than once. And I'm very appreciative of that. Um, a few of the, you know, I was thinking about pride and a few of the verses that I lean on in my life. Um, I don't know if anybody else struggles with that. But uh, one of them being John chapter 15, verse 5. I know that's one of my friend's favorite verses. I know it's one of Mr. Danny's favorite verses. In that verse, we read the words, apart from me, you can do nothing. And it talks about how abiding in Christ, you know, and that living that life where we're close to Christ and when we're in him, we can bear fruit. But apart from him, we can do nothing. And what does that mean in the words, apart from me, you can do nothing? Not only am, you know, is my heart able to beat because of him or, you know, I have breath because of him, but everything in my life, literally, when it comes to anything that has any type of eternal value, anything that actually matters, I can do nothing apart from him. And so I learned that, you know, I've learned that verse and I learned to lean on that throughout my life. It's been something heavy. I know something in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. You guys don't have to turn there. I should have it marked. Hopefully I have it marked. Um, I read this verse a while ago. There's times in our lives where as believers we get this thought or idea that we're working harder than others around us. So there's something, you know, better or more spectacular, spectacular about us than the, you know, than the person next to us. You know, when I was reading through uh, 1 Corinthians, I came across this verse and it says, uh, I believe it's Paul, and he says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I. It was not I, but it was the grace of God, my work in me. So uh, we'll be in Daniel chapter 1 today. Before we start, I want you guys to pray for yourselves. I um, pray that you'll be open to what God has to say to you through his word. Um, sometimes God says things through his word that we don't like, so pray you'll be open. And then pray for me. Pray that God will get me completely out of the way um, and that it won't be anything about Edwin. It'll be all about him, and he gets all the glory today. Let's pray. Dear God, I come before you today. Um, man, I thank you for the privilege. I appreciate what you've done through Luke and what you've done through Hannah so far on the music team. Um, God, you know I've handed to you, and you know each and every one of these guys in here. Uh, 
I pray most importantly you get all the glory today and that you open your hearts, um, their hearts to what you have to say. I pray that the unsaved get saved and that the saved they grow and they go out and I'll change this world. And all these things I ask that you have your way, God, in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so today we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1. Open your Bibles up to Daniel chapter 1. I'll give you a second to flip your Bibles there. You guys got it? Yeah. All right, cool. All right, so it says we'll start here. A little bit of background on what's going on in Daniel chapter 1. You see, Israel was in this state of rebellion towards God. And so what God does, he raises up Nebuchadnezzar to, as basically a judgment for them, for their actions. And so we get into chapter 1 and we start reading. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashmaz, the chief of the eunuchs, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths, just like us, <laughs> without blemish, of good appearance, five foot ten, curly hair, brown eyes, <laughs> and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding. Yeah, I don't know why you guys let me up here, right? <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, endowed with understanding, um, and then basically fit to serve in the king's house. And it says, the king assigned to them a daily portion of food, and the king ate, and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Stanley he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. And these famous verses in verse 8 and 9 is where we're going to be you know, parking the bus today. That's soccer terms, so I hope Mr. Danny's proud of me. Um, <laughs> Uh, but it's going to be in verse 8 and 9. It's going to read, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. I want you guys to notice the word resolved in verse 8. It's also translated in your King James Bible. I'm not a King James only type of guy. I'll go back to the Greek and Hebrew if you want to get to the real context of things. But in this verse, the word, it can also be translated to purpose. And you'll read it and it'll say, God, but Daniel purposed in his heart. That word purpose there, it means to place or to set upon. And in the context of this verse, it means to make a decision. So what was Daniel deciding? We see that Daniel was deciding not to defile himself. And what was he not defiling himself? It was with the food and the drink. You see, Daniel, if you look up into the other verses of what we read, Daniel was okay with them changing his name. He was okay with the job that they were going to give him serving in the king's palace. He was also okay with the education they were going to give him. But when it came to this king's food and drink, something was wrong there. It's kind of like where you see like this halt. And this is where Tony Evans makes this thought of where Daniel draws the line in the sand. And why is that? We see in Exodus 1, the first point, that it was a sin to eat of any food offered to idols. And then our second point we read in Leviticus chapter 27, we don't need to turn there, but you also see that it was a sin to eat of certain food considered unclean. And both of this was happening here in the house of Nebuchadnezzar. So at the core of this decision, it wasn't that Daniel didn't like Babylonian food or anything like that. He's saying, I'm deciding that I will remain faithful to Christ. I will not sin against God and I will not compromise my faith. So there's other thoughts and ideas that you can really go into about this, um, but we can see that Daniel was serious about his God. Today, if we were to title it, um, Luke talked about characteristics, um, and today would be about some characteristics of Daniel um, in his life, and we see the characteristic that Daniel would remain faithful to Christ, whether you know, it cost him his life. We see that if 
Nebuchadnezzar in this time didn't like what Daniel was trying to do, what would end up happening was, <laughs> right, he's gone. So Daniel's saying, I'll remain faithful to Christ, even if it costs me in my life. And you know, today in America, we don't have that type of, um, a lot of the times, situation where it's going to cost us our life to remain faithful to God. But in our schools and in our workplaces, we will still have those situations. And you need to have it drawn now that you remain faithful to Christ before those situations come. One of my uh, Bible teachers over at my homeschool group, it's like, you know, I'm homeschooled, but my parents want to send me to a homeschool school. doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> but one of his names was Mr. Mark Beebe. And Mr. Mark Beebe, um, it's one of the, you know, you, there's just certain people in life you just really look up to, right? You know, there's guys that love Jesus. They love God and they love his word. And you, since you love Jesus, you love his word and you love God. Um, not all that we should, but you look up to them. And you kind of are on the same wavelength, if that makes sense. He's one of these guys I really look up to. And, you know, I was talking to him on uh, my last class. It was Friday. And I was saying, all right, Mr. Beebe, um, I'm going to be speaking in Daniel chapter one. I think that's where God wants me. You got anything around verses eight and nine? And, you know, he pulls up all this stuff in his computer. He's got like a whole, he's pretty awesome. Just leave it there. But anyways, he puts it, uh, he put down a bunch of things that really I'm not smart enough <laughs> to get down. I'm just really not. But there was one thing that he said and that I kind of got that point and built off of it. So if he does end up watching this and it's recorded somehow and I quoted you wrong, please forgive me. Um, but he says it makes this notice or just this point is notice. Uh, let me find my notes again. Probably should do that. Yeah, there you go. It says, notice when the, when the decision that Daniel was made. Notice when Daniel made the decision that it was made. When he drew, drew that line in the sand, as Dr. Tony Evans said, it was prior to the event that takes place. So in our lives, we need to make decisions now for tomorrow. You can't make them on the spot. You have to have it set in your mind now that you remain faithful to Christ before those opportunities or before those situations or events arise, whether it's in your workplace or just period. So really the question we can get from this is, or an application, you know, Mr. Allen says, you know, you can teach what you want, but it's got to be application, right? It's have you drawn the line in the sand? Um, have you drawn the line in the sand? Have you purposed in your heart that you remain faithful to Christ, no matter whatever the world throws at you, whatever opportunities come your way? I want you to notice in verse 9, it says, God gave Daniel and God. Some of your versions, versions say, then God or now God. It doesn't really matter, but it says, and God gave fa Daniel favor and compassion inside of the chief of the eunuchs. When you draw that line in the sand, remember it's not unnoticed. It doesn't go unnoticed. God sees it. And you can see in the life of Daniel, he blesses it. He blesses it. All right, on page three. All right, so we see Daniel's faithfulness. And like Hannah mentioned the word undivided, um, this, that seems like it's a good fitting you know, word or attribute to put to Daniel, how he was devoted to God. But we see Daniel's God-exalting attitude. And let's look in chapter two. Um, there, verses 17. Now we're going to branch off real quick. I was looking in verse 17 here. Um, this is not as much about Daniel's God-exalting attitude, but it's more of a word for the youth, um, as we talked about as we're preparing in there. And it can still be for you guys, too. Notice in verse 17, one of my buddies, Ryland Knight, he's preaching now, if you ever heard of him. Um, doubt any of you guys have, but yeah, he's, he's pretty awesome. You can look him up on Facebook and so on. Uh, hopefully he'll be proud of me for shouting him out there. <laughs> but it says the word companions. Companions, other Bibles read friends. Look at who Daniel calls his friends. Daniel makes friends with other believers, other people when you see that when they were faced with situations in their lives, they drew the line in the sand saying they would remain faithful to Christ too. Daniel had good friends, right? Daniel had good friends. I was always told in my life that the two biggest influences in my life was the music I listened to and the people I hanged around or I hung around. And it's very true. A lot of the music you listen to, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, remember these things 
very easily because it's in song form. When you're listening to trash, you ever heard garbage in, garbage out? That's exactly what happens. You get all that in you and it stays in you and then what comes out of you? All the garbage you put in it. And um, that's just something a little more for my youth friends, but I'm, I don't think any of you guys are perfect too in that matter. You know? But I also want you to notice in verse 17 and 18, we see that Daniel asks his friends for prayer. Um, one of the things in our life is pride. We don't like to ask for help from other people. Um, well, this is the thing. If you knew me any bit, I'd probably ask you to pray for me today. Reason being, it's a church. We're not doing this thing alone, right? You have been given people to come alongside you and help you. Um, make sure that when you have something going on in your life, if possible, you ask for prayer. Ask for prayer from your godly friends. Because you read in James, uh, in James, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. All right? So take advantage of that. We're a church. We don't do this thing alone. Anyways, we'll get back into what we're talking about as Daniel's God-exalting attitude. We see in verses 20 through 23, Daniel privately makes sure to give God the credit. Privately exalts him, privately thanks him. When God does something in your life, be quick to acknowledge it was him, privately. But we also see that Daniel publicly, in verses 27 through 28, if you want to look over there and kind of glance at it, he publicly gives God the glory and exalts him. You see, instead of easily taking the spotlight that he could have taken on himself, he quickly takes the spotlight off of himself and puts it on Christ. I want you guys to notice something. Nebuchadnezzar is what we would call an unbeliever at this time, right? That's, you know, I guess things were in the Old Testament, but Nebuchadnezzar could represent an unbeliever at this time. Daniel, what Daniel does here is he's a witness for Christ. He could have easily taken the spotlight and put it on himself. In your life, there's going to be times where unbelievers are going to say things like, man, you're different. Why are you like that? And so on. And the spotlight's going to get put on you. And you need to be really quick to take that spotlight and put it back on Jesus. Because right there and then, you're now a witness for an unbeliever. Notice many theologians, they believe that Nebuchadnezzar is going to be in heaven with us one day. We're going to be able to converse with him. If Daniel never gave God the credit, what would have happened? Make sure you're giving God the credit and the spotlight and it's not keeping it on yourself. And now it's naturally in our own lives, it's very easy for us, you know, as just we're prideful sinners. We want, it's really nice to keep that and take the credit for it ourselves, right? It just goes against us. It's hard to do. But make sure you're giving God credit publicly and privately, all right? You know, I was thinking when I was going through this, I look at Daniel's life and I see how God blesses him and he shows himself on day very strong, right? And, he, you know, Daniel get, you know, is even mentioned in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, um, it even has his own book, you know, that's pretty cool, All right? And I thought of this verse, and it says, you know, God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Uh, I was told in my life by my basketball coach, one of the guys I also look up to, um, Mr. Jeff Kaler, he says, God uses humble and holy. What does it mean to be holy? Uh, it's a life separated, undivided, uh, devoted to God. Uh, live a humble and holy life. Then lastly, We'll see Daniel's identity. Daniel's identity. Daniel's identity in itself, and then Daniel's identity being tied to Christ. We see Daniel's identity. His name was actually, when it was translated by Hebrew, it was, it, it, I mean, yeah, I believe that was it, right? Hebrew, it was meant to say, God is my judge. That's what Daniel's name meant, God is my judge. I was talking to Mr. Brandon before this, and I asked him the question. I said, you know, Mr. Brandon, did these guys know that one day they're going to stand before God? Well, he said, well, they, you know, he knew the Messiah was coming, that he would give an account for his life. And so I was making me think when I thought of that name, every time Daniel was called when he was younger, when his parents named him, he always was reminded, Daniel, when they said Daniel, God is your judge. God is your judge. So it makes me wonder, maybe Daniel was so wise 
Because every single day of his life, he knew God was looking over and that he would give an account for his life. Right? You know, I can't say for Daniel, but I know that each and every single one of us will one day stand before the king and give an account for our lives. Me and my buddy Jeremiah went to a youth rally. We used to do these a lot. And one of the things he wrote in his book, it was remember the Bema. Remember the Bema. What does that mean? The sinners were all, you know, those who don't trust Christ as their Savior, they're going to go to the great white throne judgment room. I just slow up because every time I try to say it, I mess it up. And then those who are saved, they're going to be at the Bema seat. And what this guy, John Glock, um, professor at Emmaus, I believe, I can't remember his position, but smart guy. That's all you really need to know. Knows <laughs> the Bible. He, would, he made this quote saying, remember the Bema. And it was this, remember one day that you're going to stand before the king. And then live in light of that day. Make decisions in light of that day. All right? So I encourage you guys, as the church of God, as my brothers and sisters in Christ, live in light of that day. Live in light of that day. You know, there's a guy I like to listen to. His name's Francis Chan. Um, many of you guys know him. I haven't listened to him as much lately. But what he does is he takes, um, in one of his illustrations, he takes a rope and he ties like a piece of tape, super, super small, on it. It's like a 60-foot rope. So then he goes and he throws it across the stage. Um, and you just see a bunch of rope. And then you see this little like black strip at the end of the tape. And he says, okay, guys, look, this is what I'm trying to convey here. This is the little bit of time you have in your life right here in that little strip, right? It's about 80 years or so, maybe if you're lucky. Most of us won't really get there. Some of you guys have gotten there. Keep going. <laughs> right? But what ends up happening is this. We live for those 80 years, and my dad's talking about it. We live for like a retirement plan and so on. And we, we, we forget that there's not 80 years, but there's 8 billion plus more coming up. Don't live for the 80 years now. Live for the eternity that's coming, right? Keep your eyes focused on the Lord. Keep your eyes focused on eternity. I think Daniel does set it, or could have set a good example in this. And lastly, we see that Daniel is no secret agent Christian. Uh, that's what Tony Evans likes to say, the no secret agent Christian. I'm sure, yeah, he's heard it too. Look at him laughing. <laughs> oh, man. But it's just basically this. When I look at Daniel in the Bible and I see all the major stories about Daniel, um, even in you know, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah's life, there's always, it's, it's, it's either this, it's until you get to like the prophecies and so on, it's this. If you knew Daniel, he told you about his God. Or if you knew Daniel, you knew about his God. Does that make sense? And you see that in the Bible. There's only one time in those bigger stories that we hear of is when he's with King Darius, and I don't see that. And maybe one of you guys can tell me why. But other than that, you can see that everybody knew who Daniel represented. They knew who he reps. They knew who he served. My, you know, as we'll finish up here, Mr. Allen always tells us, you gotta tell people you're a Christian. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. It really is. They should notice something different about us. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about the Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.